Jidan, you can, can you go to the next slide? I think we've got a picture. Um, the next one. Yeah. Um, as you look up on the screen, we, um, I think Larry mentioned in the beginning, we had a great week this past week. For those of you who were able to be part of that, uh, you were obviously there, so you knew it. But we had our summer Bible camp. Uh, just a tremendous time of reaching out to our neighborhood. And we had so many new friends in with us uh, this past week from Monday through Thursday. And then we had our celebration on Friday night. And, and this picture is actually from the sub. We had all the kids and actually, not all of the kids were here that night, but um, our largest total for one of the evenings, I think, was uh, 87 children were here for our summer Bible camp. It was nuts. I mean, in a good way. We were feeding everyone for dinner beforehand. If you tried to feed 87 kids, it is just chaos, but it was beautiful, a beautiful kind of chaos, and um, just a great time. And for me, you know, especially uh, being the pastor here, just a real time of joy to see children uh, responding to who Jesus is and being together and songs and, and fun and just such a good time. But it was at the same time, if you're just catching up with the news, it's, it's mixed with this like bittersweet kind of sadness because we rejoice in what's happening. As Christians, we rejoice because God is blessed and God is pouring out favor and doing good things. But at the same time, we hear stories of around the world, literally people dying for their faith. I mean, and I hope you guys are following this on news in, in Iraq where people who are religious minorities are being um, just shunned out of their homes and beheaded and um, women being raped and children being killed and just thousands. I mean, this is real news. And, and people get so in, in America, we get so like upset about stupid things like I mean, just read a blog, like dumb things when this is the reality of what's happening around the world. So, and, and I couldn't help but think on that. And even locally, I mean, I think it was Friday night or Thursday night, I was sitting there watching the news with my wife, late night news, and just spent from a week, but watching the news, like, like 10, 12 stories in a row, just heartbreak, 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 three-year-old getting shot in Waverly. I'm like, what's going on? That should not be happening. Funerals should not be happening for little three-year-olds in our city. And, and, and as much as we find joy, there's a part of our hearts that break as well, thinking something is broken. Some, something is damaged. And, and I wanted to talk on that. And I had been planning this, actually, for today anyway, but just seemed to really fit well. Naturally, we're going to talk about this thing called hope. Because there's this time when all of us, no matter how pretty your life looks on that side, we get to a point where... You look at what's happening maybe around you, but even in you, and the answers you have just don't seem to be adequate. The things that even people tell you on a bumper sticker don't seem to do enough because it's that deep. And we have to believe and look to something bigger than ourselves. So we're going to be reading from Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 130. If you wanted to follow in your Bible, you can do it. it'll be up on the screen as well. But it's page 441 of the Pew Bibles there. Let me read from Psalm 130, starting in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let me pray once more. Lord, we do rejoice 
we're thankful to be able to sit here in a nice cool room and be happy and talk about Jesus and be with one another. But Lord, our hearts also just move because we know it's not the reality everywhere. And there are there are people who we call brothers and sisters because of who we have in the relation we have in you, Father, that are dying, that are on the run, that, that are starving because of who they believe. So we don't take this for granted, Lord. Shake us in many ways from the complacency that so sets in and, and put our eyes on you. And for many of us, Lord, I know many of us even sitting here, maybe it doesn't feel like losing our lives, but we're going through struggle as well going through difficulty, and hope is absent. So speak into our lives this morning together and lead us, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we look at the first few verses there in 1 and 2, and, and, you, and you're reminded that life can be difficult. Not that anyone of us, I think, needs to be reminded of that, but the, just the language easier. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. We cry at different moments, but when you're going through the depths of life, when you're going through the pits of life, there is a cry that's almost guttural that comes out of you, that's produced. Oh, Lord, hear my voice, because no one else hears. I'm alone. I'm absent. I'm silent. Lord, are your ears hearing me? Be attentive. And I need mercy that when we are just getting battered and bruised, our lives cry out for mercy. We cry out for help. And, and the words here are just of a pleading nature. The psalmist here, we're not quite sure exactly who the, who the author of the psalmist is, but it's, it's a, almost an agony, like a, a pleading. kind of. A, it's a, called a psalm of ascent, which means as you're going to meet the Lord, you're seeking him and you're seeking relief. And maybe we can describe it as desperation. This is a real desperation. And what, what, what I want to encourage us to see is that, yes, it's desperate, but that in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, hope is born out of desperation. That, that when we are going through the pits, as difficult it is, that's really the place where hope is born out of. And, you know, I have the privilege to be able to speak at different places, um, just to be able to share the gospel. And, you know, every so often I'll go to some churches where I'll, I'll, I'll pull into the parking lot and, like, it's all, like, nice, foreign, like, expensive luxury cars. Like, it, you know, you walk in, and it's like, I mean, I love our carpet here, but we got, like, holes in our carpet and stuff. Like, these places, it's, like, plush. You're, like, sinking in. It's, like, really nice. You sit down. You're about to take a nap because the chairs are so comfortable. And I can preach my heart on hope. I mean, I can just go nuts and jump around and be talking about how much God provides us hope. And, and people can be like, oh, that's really nice. Great. Praise God. Because, you know, life's a little comfortable. Life's good. But I contrast that when I was last year at, at one of the homeless missions in the city here in Baltimore and got a privilege to preach for the, the chapel in the morning. Like, I think it was like 150 homeless men and preaching about hope and looking across the room and seeing tears and seeing, hearing amens and, and seeing, like, people on the edge of their seats, like, it's like honey to the lips because there's something when you're desperate, when you're in difficult times, when you are in the pits, when life is beating you up, you're eager for anything that will provide relief. You're desperate. Maybe one way we can think about it that our adversity is the furnace in which the fire of hope is fueled. Our adversity is the furnace in which the fire of hope is fueled. That hope is born out of adversity. Because when we prosper, if you're anything like me, yeah, I mean, I give God thanks. But the truth is, we can easily forget God. But when things go badly, 
There's something within us that needs something bigger than ourselves. We cry out for something, whether it's God or something else. And we look at verses 5 and 6, and it's critical to the understanding of what this psalmist was looking for from God. And you, in verses 5 and 6, you'll notice um, these two verses. This, there's a word that comes up constantly. It's this word wait. You know, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. A, another translation, I think it's the NIV, it actually, that last part there, my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman. It says more than the watchman wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. So it comes up again and again. And, and this word wait, it has to do more than just kind of stay like you're at the bus stop and just standing there waiting. It's not that kind of wait. It, it's this idea of expectancy. It's this idea that um, you are confident something is going to happen, so you wait. Maybe it's this a way to think that you wait and hope. Um, I, my wife and I, when we first got married, we lived in a, in a place in the city, and um, it makes it sound like we lived in a really fancy place. It wasn't, but there was like a, 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 a watch person. Like you had to come through a gate to enter the place. So um, at nighttime, you know, obviously the gate's there, and then you have to talk to the watchman. So this dude would be working all night. And I do not envy that job because this was not like a hopping place where people are coming all night. Pretty much at a certain time, no one is coming there. And this guy's working, like sitting there at a gate all night. And, and that's what a watchman is. Um, you know, whether it's thousands of years ago on a city wall or at, in front of a condo, um, a watchman doesn't do a lot. They sit there. Um, basically, they're waiting for something unusual that might happen. Hopefully nothing happens. But they're, they're waiting for danger. They're waiting to see maybe a few people who are wanting to come in. But basically, they don't have any major tasks. They're eagerly looking forward to the morning. And I used to run pretty late at night, so I would come to, and these guys, they're like looking at their watch, waiting for like 6 a.m. when dawn starts to break and starts to get a little bit more bright. And I don't know if any of you, if it's been a recent um, chance for you to stay up all night, Maybe some of you with your little kids, it's too common of an occurrence. Or if you're a student, um, I'm, a, I'm getting better, but I'm a, I have bad habits of procrastination. So when I would have like school projects, man, last night before the exam or the paper, I am up all night. And there's that feeling you get at a certain point where you start feeling sick. Like, have you ever done that when you're sitting up late at night? You're just like nauseous. And maybe some of you are staying up late for other reasons, but you, you still get the same nausea. You're like getting kind of like, you feel like you almost want to throw up. You're just waiting for the dawn to come so you can fill your belly with bacon, but that's a side thing. Um, but the morning, it brings resolution. The morning brings kind of a, a, a hope from this long night. It brings safety, completion. And so what the psalmist is saying here, as just as a watchman guarding the city is waiting in expectation for the morning to come, um, the psalmist saying, I also, Lord, am, am, am awaiting your answer. I'm like that watchman just looking out, waiting for something to happen, waiting for the sun to kind of rise. I'm like that guy waiting here as well. So there's not just a desire that an answer will come, but there's an expectation that an answer will come. So he, so he waits. Again, though, waiting, it's not just kind of sitting, sitting there at the bus stop and say, man, I really hope something happens. It's this expectancy. It's not just, oh, man, nothing else is going on. It's also not going nuts trying to fix everything on your own because God's not doing something. It's not trying to manipulate situations so something will happen. 
Um, but what it is, it's waiting, recognizing that there are certain things that you will not be able to do that only God can do. But in the meantime, you're also going to work with what he's given you to do. And knowing that the real solution is ultimately going to be coming from God alone. And, and that's what it means to wait on wait and hope on God. And for some of you in this room, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've just even, even talked with a few of you. You're in a season of waiting. You're in a season where life is just really difficult. Like maybe it's financial problems. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe it's just struggles with certain demons that you've been wrestling with for a while. Maybe it's just waiting on uh, just things to happen. And you've been waiting for a while and, and you're tired and, you, and your heart is hurting and you're lonely and, and you feel like no one cares anymore. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you is, um, for those of you, especially if things are not going well, and you're in that position where you have to wait, who God is to you is going to be huge. How you view God is going to be significant for how, how, how you wait. So for some of us, and maybe this is the way, how you've thought about God or heard, if God is like, um, like you go to McDonald's and he's, he's like the guy behind the counter taking your order, and I don't know if you've ever, maybe some of you don't eat like fast food at all, or anything, but you're waiting for your order and it should take like a couple of minutes and it's just taking a long time. Like you're waiting and everyone's grumpy and, you know, for some of us, God, we might maybe view him like that. Like prayer is some, a re- way that we throw up kind of like our requests. Like prayer is kind of like emails we send our, our order ahead of time. And God, I'm waiting on this. I'm waiting for this to happen. I'm waiting for this kind of healing. I'm waiting for this to happen in my family. I'm waiting for you to do this in my, in my parents. I'm waiting for this to happen to my kids. I'm waiting for this to come through with my job. All these different things. And we're just praying to God. God, will you let it happen? God, will you make it happen? And if God is like a fast food delivery man, we're just going to get mad when it doesn't happen. And some of us, we've been there, right? When it seems like we've prayed earnestly, you've prayed hard, you've prayed with tears, you've prayed with like fist pounding, and it doesn't seem like God has come through with what you were asking. Maybe we have to refigure our idea of God that he's not just there for the purpose of giving you what you ask, even if it's very earnest. Or some of us, we think God just doesn't give a rip. We think that, well, God, yeah, he's a creator of all, and you have a very high view of God. But you don't really believe God is personal and could care less about you. I mean, this is the God who's talking about, like, Iraq and, like, feeding the hunger. Why would he care about my little life here in Baltimore? And we have kind of a removed idea of God. But we have to look here in, 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 in the description that we have in the scriptures here and throughout um, that God is deeply interested in us. That God is lovingly involved in our lives. He's not just a creator who looks at us from afar. He's a daddy who cares about the details of our life. And and what this means is that when you are going through stuff, when you're going through really hard, bad, difficult stuff, you don't have to deny it's happening. You don't have to explain it away. You can say, no, that's part of being part of a broken world. Stuff is happening. Some of it I can't even control. But we learn to be able to wait on God. We learn to believe in hope that God does know, that God does hear, that he is going to bring some direction, that he's going to bring some healing, he's going to bring some strength, some conclusion, whatever we need, that God is going to provide that, maybe in a way that looks very different from you, what you and I were expecting. Because for some of us, the reason it's difficult to come to God is we've put our hope in many other things, and they haven't really 
um, met our expectations. Because the thing about scary thing about hope is that it can leave us very open for pain. Uh, I think we have a little image up here that, oh, can't really see it too well. That's supposed to be the wizard, if you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz. And if you've never seen it, I mean, this is like a hundred-year-old movie. So if you haven't seen it by now, there's no spoiler one. You're not going to watch it. But, I mean, basically, you got little Dorothy, and she's got some little friends, like a tin guy and a straw dude and a lion man and, and little dog Toto. And then off the seat, it was in, you know, Yellowbrook Road. And, they're, again, if you haven't watched it, you're not going to care anyway. But they're going, and basically, they all want their needs met. They've all got, they need a heart, or they need a brain, or they need courage, or, you know, whatever they need. They're, they're just in need of different things. So they've been told, go see this wizard. Just follow the yellow brick road all the way down. Be a good boy. Be a good girl. Follow this yellow brick road down all the way. And once you get to the wizard, so they find a wizard. They get to the Emerald City. Doom, 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 doom. They finally get to meet the wizard. And, and if you can kind of make out, it's just just horrific, scary image. Like, oh, I'm the great wizard. You know, really scary stuff. You know, they're all shaking and they're scared. And they're frightened. And, and he tells them to go do off some crazy stuff. So they come back and they bring back the witch's broom. And he says, oh, I can't help you. And then little Toto, he goes to the curtain, and he pulls the curtain back. And you find out that this scary, huge wizard that they've put all this fear into, all this hope into, thinking he can solve their problems, is just this old dude that's just like pulling levers and going, I'm the wizard, and, you know, just making smoke monsters. And, and basically, why, why I say all that silliness is that's how many of us have treated the things we've looked to to provide our salvation, our hope. That we've been promised, if you just put your hope, you know, maybe your life is miserable, but if you find that right person, I know you feel like your life is lacking, but if you find that right guy or that right woman, you complete me. If you find that person, then your life will suddenly make, make sense. Or that you've been, um, your life is just, but if you finally get enough money, then you're going to be happy. Then you'll be satisfied. Or man, you know what? All you need is for your body to be fully whole. And once you get that, once you find that, then you'll finally be satisfied. Or, or you know, as long as your kids end up a certain way, you know, and, and we have these different things that we bow ourselves before. We look to and hope. We say, this will be the solution for me. This will finally ease that ache in my soul. As long as I get this, as long as I give myself to this. But, but we all ultimately discover, and none of those things are bad in and of themselves. I'm not saying those things are bad, but they can't quell the ache that you're feeling in your heart. And, and what you're going to be left with is pulling that curtain back and recognizing that all this that you've given power to, uh, a career, a relationship, marriage, money, kids, success, house, whatever it might be, health, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, it, it can't provide what it promised it would. It's like the wizard pulling it back. And, and for a lot of us, I don't say all that to be mean, but... That there's a reason that we've experienced pain when we put our hope in someone or something and we've had that hope shattered. And, and as a result, many of us become cynical. Or we become jaded. Or we become numb. And I want to encourage you that in the midst of that pain that you might be feeling, the Christian hope, it, it invites you to stop looking at these different things for your hope, for your ultimate hope, and instead look to God instead. Instead of bowing down and, and giving yourself to all of these other things, and again, they're not bad in and of themselves, but they're not God. Instead, look to God, worship him, bow down before him. 
And we use this word repentance. And for some of you who've been churched, repentance was just this kind of mean word like, oh, you're doing the bad stuff, repent. You know, you had to do it up front, you know, looking really mean and scary and just yelling, repent, repent, repent. And, and just usually we thought of repent as kind of the bad stuff you need to stop doing. But maybe, and that's, that's a part of it, but maybe there's also a part, repentance is look at the stuff that you're treating like God that is not God. What in your life are you looking to to provide your soul satisfaction and say, that's not God? And repentance is saying, you can't provide me what I do. I repent of this, and I worship God instead. Maybe that's the way we can think about repentance. Because the Christian hope, it helps us to believe that hope, that change is possible. What Christian hope means is that your hope for your future is not just what you look like right now. Because let's be real. Some of us right now, if we looked at ourselves, we said, oh, man, if this is it, I'm in deep doo-doo. There's not much hope for anything. Or, man, that person I'm with, oh, there's no hope for any of us. If, they're never going to change. The Christian hope is always saying what is possible is not just what we can see right now with our eyes, but the things that seem ridiculous to us to even imagine or dream is what God can do. I mean, what, what does he in the scripture say? He's, he's a God who makes all things new, Revelation 21.5. He's a God with whom all things are possible, Matthew 19.26. The Christian faith is a hope that offers beauty out of broken, dead places. The Christian hope is one that looks like a pile of garbage that everyone else will say is a waste, and God will look and say, oh, wow, I can do something with that. I can do something good with that. And that's what he's done with our lives. And I, and I want to offer that hope to, to all of us here in this room today. And let's just be, can we, can we just be brutally real? Because, you know, some of us in this room, we live decent lives. I mean, you've been like the poster child for like a good American education. And you've always obeyed the rules. And you've done everything you're supposed to. And you got everything. And, you know, your life is okay. But the truth is many of us, and I would put myself in, in this category, we live with a lot of regret. <laughs> I, I, I live with a lot of regret of things that I've done that I felt were wrong. A lot of mistakes I made. Again, I always kind of semi-joke. Maybe it's not semi. It's a, or maybe it's not a joke. It's I mean, as a young dude, I did some dumb stuff. Some things that I feel like I'm still kind of paying back even in my heart. And maybe some of you, you're there with me and you've done things or had things done to you or you've been engaged in activities or behavior or with people that you, even now, it just haunts you. And you feel shame and you feel guilt. And you feel like, man, if I could just go back and get another chance, it would be all different. If I could just do things over again. Man, if I could repair my family relationships that have gone in the toilet. Man, if I could just take care. If I, could, if I didn't make that bad moral choice there. Or if I didn't allow this. that Man, if I could just have another choice. I'm sorry to say that's not the way Christian life works. You don't get a rewind button. But the, this is the great news. You don't need a rewind button because we got a fast forward button to show us that God takes even the things that we consider hopelessness, brokenness, disaster, bad choices, destructive behavior, bad stuff to other people, and God can take those things and repair us for his own glory. Again, adversity is the furnace in which the fire of hope is fueled. And some of you right now, you're even in this room, 
And maybe right now you're even at a place where you're just crying out to God saying, when, God? When? I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of the way I am. I'm tired of these demons I wrestle with. I'm tired of my broken family. I'm tired of my addictions. I'm tired of my bad habits. I'm tired of just this, these memories that still continue to haunt me of, of horrific stuff that was done to me. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just trying to repair these bad cycles, generational sin of bad stuff that was done in my family and in my parents. I'm still trying to recover from that. When, God, when is it going to be different? When is there going to be healing? And I want to, in a pastoral, gentle way, encourage you that, yeah, maybe in the American dream, it would be so much better if your life looked a certain way. But in God's economy, perhaps God has even allowed you to go through some of those really hard things so that you'd be sitting here today saying, I need help. I need help. I'm desperate. My life is hurting. I've messed some things up. I need a healer. I need redemption. And that you cry out to God for mercy as you learn his character. And I love the verses from, uh, from the passage you read, verses 3, 4, and 7 in particular, where it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And what this reminds us, and we need to continue to remind to one another, is our God loves busted up people. And don't take offense if I'm calling you busted up. I'm talking to myself first. Our God loves busted up people. Our, love, our God loves people who got the script in the beginning of your life and saying, just follow this and everything, turn on right. And you just like, you're the guy that scribbles outside of the lines and it just went really bad. And you've lived 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of regret. God loves people like that. God loves folks who everyone else, maybe, every, maybe your whole family looks at you and say, what a waste. What a total waste of humanity. God loves people like that. God loves folks who, who even in themselves have given up hope that anything could ever happen in and through their life. And God loves people like that. Because we have to remind ourselves that the Christian faith is not about trying to clean up our own mess. It's about recognizing you can never clean up your own mess. I, I think about um, our, our little girls, and they're doing this less and less now, which is great. But when they're little, they just had this habit of in the middle of the night, if their nose would start bleeding, or if they had a stuffy nose and boogies and snot, sorry if that's grossing some of you, that's just reality for me, that's just like coming out on and they can't breathe, or they throw up, and you just hear this scream like, ah, and you're like, oh, no, okay, let's roll, okay, and you run into the room, and then you just see a kid sitting up in bed and blood all over their face, or puke, or snot all over their face, and, and the thing is, a kid, when they start to feel that, what's their natural reaction? Start to try to clean themselves up, right? Like, trying to use their arms and hands and trying to get it out of their face, and what do they do? Just end up spraying. It's like nasty shampoo, right? It gets all over, all over the place, all over the walls, all over the beds, all over the sheets, and, and the more they try to clean themselves up, the more it's just making a bigger mess, and what it takes is a daddy or a mommy gently taking them to the bathtub and washing them clean. Washing the walls. Doing the laundry in the middle of the night because you're going to puke if you smell it anymore. Because 
that kid can't clean himself. And, and that's a picture of, of what God has to do in our life because we've been brought up in a world where we've said, repair yourself, work harder, be a better person, get a better job, stop doing bad stuff, be a better, be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better worker, do all these things, get yourself together, stop looking at porn, stop being jealous, stop shopping, so whatever it might be. And, and that's all great, but we have to recognize ultimately the solution is not to say, I need to try harder and be better, it's to say, I need help. I need help because I can't clean this stuff off myself. My soul is at a place where it will require something supernatural to come outside from me to come heal me and to help me. And I need someone to wash me. And, and you know, when you think of Christ on the cross, that's what happened. That he took upon himself our, our sin and our shame and all of our mess. But just like, I, I'll tell you, after I clean my kids up, I look like an utter mess. I am, like, disgusting. Because, yeah, I cleaned them up, but that's all on me now. And in a picture, and it's not a complete picture, but in a picture, that's what Christ does. Yes, he takes away our dirt and sin and shame, but on the cross, he took it upon himself. Someone paid the price. And, guys, as we start to just proclaim that message to one another, you know what a church is? And some of you, if you haven't been to church in a while, you might think, yeah, church is like a a really holy place. Nah, church is like a hospital for people who are all in that same place saying, man, I'm so messed up. You too, you too, great. And when we proclaim to one another, man, isn't it great how God loves broken people like us? Isn't it amazing how God loves to repair people who everyone else threw in the trash heap? Isn't it amazing how when everyone else is giving up hope, God never gives up and he loves to take irreparable stuff and repair it? Isn't that amazing? And we proclaim to one another, don't give up. Yeah, it looks like you're taking a lot of steps back. God hasn't given up. Keep moving. Keep going forward. Keep pressing. And, and, and man, we need to let other people know about this. Because there's so many people, they think of church and they think of rigid, oh, let's be holy moly, kind of Bible thumper, kind of nice people. And they just find no life. For them. Man, we got more people to tell about this stuff. Because people are hurting. And wounded. Our city is sick. Mommies and daddies are crying because of what's happening with the kids. We need help. We need repair. And that's what a church is. A community of broken people who've experienced the hope that comes in the saving work of Jesus. And as this hope finds life in us individually, it spreads outwardly to others. Can I I tell you, I, I need to make this clear. And if you were here for the summer Bible camp, don't be offended when I say this. Our goal is not to just have like a nice one-week kids camp. I mean, really, that was the whole purpose of it. There's plenty of good children's camp opportunities in the city. Our goal, unashamedly, is we want people to know about Jesus. We want people to know the hope that is offered in the sacrificial work of Jesus. So that's why we're going to pour ourselves into it. That's why I look at many of you. And guys, I hope you're proud of your church because many of the folks here, they were here early each night. And they were in our steamy, nasty, hot kitchen. I'm, I probably shouldn't say that because no one's ever going to volunteer in the future. But in there, just cooking and just making a huge mess of food, just giant amounts of food. Why? So we can serve people. Why? So church never just stays about us. Why? So we bust these stereotypes that people think that church people are these religious bigots who kind of stay off on their own and look, look down on everyone else and kind of, um, you know, 
keep their chins up, and rather we want to get into the brokenness. We want to be with people who are hurting. We want to be with our city and say, there's hope beyond what you've already always been taught. That's, that's why our goal is if you've experienced hope, we want to spread this to those who have not experienced hope. That we don't just look at people needing religion, we look at people needing rescue. I mean, a side note on that, part of it is mobilizing us to look at areas of uh, just things that we feel are hopeless even in the world. And maybe you've been reading reports about Iraq and feeling like, man, what can be done? And I think there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. But if you want to contribute to some of the relief work going into uh, Iraq right now, check out the Village Facebook page. We have a link there that you can contribute towards those efforts. But part of being a church like this is we look at broken things and say, how do we work together? How do we collaborate? How do we fuel the resources God has given us? How do we pray together? How do we move together? How do we encourage one another? How do we, when the rest of our world says, just think about your own self. Just try to survive. Just try. Man, why are you serving anyone else? You got your own life to live. And say, no, we believe in a better way. We believe in hope. We believe in a Jesus Christ who came and entered our lives to be in our mess. And we're going to do the same with other people because we believe that much that Jesus brings hope and rescue. And we believe, we're saying to the world that we believe in a better way than all the false ways that we look to for hope. If that resonates with you, I mean, I just want to encourage you to, especially if you're checking out the church, you know, join us. Be part of what's going on here. Because what, what I love this past week, it, it was tremendously. The more people get involved in that, the more people get touched. The more hope gets released into our city. The more people who are just devoid. Man, I just think about how many people are like lay, lie awake at nights just thinking about maybe they should end their life that night. I, I know there's a lot in this city. Those are some of the nights where it's hard for me to sleep. And, and, and we just think about, man, we've got the solution here. It's not an overnight take a vitamin, Christian vitamin kind of solution. It might take a while, but it's a solution. Ultimately, to remind people that this world is not our eternal home. There's a reason why we should be kind of dissatisfied here because this is not meant to be like our eternal destination. But until then... We proclaim hope. So join us in that. Get part, get part of a group. Get baptized. Join a serving, serving team. Help out some way so that we can get the word out to even more people. So let me, let me pray for us. And if you could bow your head with me. Um, everyone can just keep your eyes closed. It's okay. Um, but if you I just want to take a moment. And again, I, I want to say this is not anything magical or it's anything more special because I pray for you. But I did want to take a moment to pray for you. And again, you don't have to worry about anyone looking at you. But if, if you're sitting there, if you feel like you're just lacking hope, you feel like throwing in a towel, you feel like giving it up. And maybe you feel ashamed to even say that because we talk about things like people losing their lives in Iraq and your problems seem so petty. But you know what? Remember what we said? God looks down on every single one of us. He cares about every single one of us. So if I can just pray for you right now as a group, if you are feeling a lack of hope, you're feeling desperate, you're feeling hurt, can I just ask you to raise up a hand right now and I want to pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you that you look down on these folks here. You look down on all of us and 
you don't promise us a happy, happy, joy, joy kind of Christianity and one where we just escape our problems and one where we just need some Jesus juice and everything gets better. Lord, no, you say that the life, the world is going to be difficult. You say that there's a reason that the Bible's full of the message of hope because there's a message of suffering throughout the world. There's a reason why we need hope because things are not the way they are supposed to be. And Lord, many of us in this room, we're even experiencing that right now. Our lives are hurting. They're full of pain. They're full of longing. So we ask, Lord, for relief. And I pray for these folks particularly who raised up a hand. Thank you that you know them. Thank you, Lord, that they're not absent from your eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just look on them from afar. But in Christ, you came to this earth to be in the midst of our pain and take our sin upon ourselves. So we pray for healing and redemption and rescue, Lord. So help us, whatever storms we're going through, whatever just winds and waves are threatening to knock us down, Lord, that we would just fix our eyes on you. Lord, know that in Christ you went through the storms on our behalf for your own glory and that we worship you in that. So help us as we do that together in this place right now. So I'm going to encourage you to get up right now. Let's stand up and we're going to sing. We're also going to invite you to come up to the table. And if you're a Christian, you can take a piece of the wafer there. And it's the broken body of Jesus. And and take that and dip it in the cup and remind yourself, remember the shed blood of Christ. And, And the reason we do that is I think this is a tangible expression of hope. Because week after, why do we do this every week? Because if you're like me, you come in every week and you lost hope again. We need to continue to remind ourselves of the gospel. So if you're a Christian, I invite you to come up to one of the two. We can have two lines going at a time. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to just say this bluntly. Maybe today you can just say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I don't know if I have it all figured out. I don't know everything intellectually. I have a lot of questions, but all I know is I'm broken and I need help. And you promised to give me help. I want, I, want, I want to receive you today. And maybe today can be your first time coming as a Christian. Not just in title, but in heart. And receive communion. And, and just let's pray with one another. Whatever you need to sing. And, and let's worship during this time together.